you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hi, and welcome to the broadcast today. I am Pastor Jeff Shreve, along with my wife, Debbie, and we are sitting in this week for Will and Miki Addison, and we're having a great time. Now, I am the pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. From His Heart can be heard every weeknight at 6 o'clock Central Time on American Family Radio. Well, we... Uh, have been talking about runaway emotions this week. We've been talking about negative emotions and what is God trying to say to us through our negative emotions. No one likes negative emotions. No one likes worry. No one likes uh, anger. No one likes loneliness. No one likes embarrassment. But those are all things that we feel. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's we feel them to a great extent. But what is the message in those negative emotions? And what is God trying to tell us about those negative emotions? Now, Debbie, uh, explain to our listeners today that maybe they haven't been with us. Uh, why, why is the smoke alarm important? The smoke alarm is um, just a signal that something is off. Something about that, that God has placed within you that that is not lining up anymore. And so that smoke alarm is to um, let you know that, man, there's a fire here. There's something in your spirit. There's something in you that some emotion that you're experiencing that is not God's best for you. It is not the abundant life he has for you. And he wants you to be signal to that so that you can bring that to him and you can get that right. Right. So we we use that illustration of a smoke alarm because most of us have some kind of a smoke detection system in our home. And we know if that thing goes off, the problem is not at the alarm. The problem is there's a fire somewhere. I got to go find the fire. And when I find the fire and I put out the fire, then the alarm stops blaring. You know, I was just thinking just this minute, something came back to me. Do you remember we had been married days and you decided you were going to cook breakfast. Do you remember this? I do. Okay. And we're in that small apartment, that first apartment we lived in. And I was in the bedroom doing something. And all of a sudden that fire alarm was blaring because you had had the pan sitting on the stove on high. And then you just put a wad of butter in there to make some eggs. And it poof, it just went up and smoke just filled the whole place. I do remember you that. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. I think that was my last time to cook. That very well could have been the last time for you to cook. Probably smart. Well, on Monday, we talked about the negative emotion of worry and what does God uh, want us to learn about worry. And then yesterday, we talked about anger. And anger is an issue of control. We get angry because 
things are not happening the way we want them to happen. And God is trying to teach us uh, through the worry. He's trying to teach us that we need to trust him. And through the anger, God is trying to teach us that he's in control. We're not in control. And we need to just humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and choose his grace over our control. Well, today we want to talk about the debilitating negative emotion called guilt. Uh, Guilt is something that all of us are very familiar with, and we have guilt from uh, varying degrees, but some people are really saddled with guilt. They're, They're kind of haunted by the ghost of guilt over something they did last week, last month, last year five years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. It's some stain in their past. Oftentimes that can be with some kind of sexual sin. It can be with a abortion. It can be with uh, some kind of uh, terrible crime that maybe they committed, but something that just sticks to them like glue and they don't ever feel like they can break free of that. And they're constantly just uh, bombarded with negative thoughts uh, as their conscience is writhing over the guilt. Now, in, uh, in the illustration of the smoke alarm, guilt says this. It says, your God-given sense of moral uprightness is on fire. That's why you're feeling guilty. That's why the alarm of guilt is going off because you have done something that has violated your conscience and uh, you're saying something is not right here and you have to get it right. But for so many people, they don't know how to get it right. And so the smoke alarm just continues to blare. I love this little poem by a a Latin poet named uh, Juvenal. He says this, Trust me, no tortures which the poets feign can match the fierce, the unutterable pain he feels who night and day, devoid of rest, carries his own accuser within his breast. That's a guilty person. He's carrying his own accuser inside, and it is an an unutterable pain when you're racked with guilt. Right. And so often we can we can busy ourselves and we can kind of put it on a back burner. But until we have truly dealt with that, that is causing us to feel guilt and shame and remorse, all of those things, until we actually deal with it, it is never going to go away. It's going to just keep reappearing and get heavier and heavier and heavier on us. Well, guilt and remorse, they really are Siamese twins and they're they're joined together And the word remorse, interesting word, because that's a synonym for guilt. The word remorse comes from the Latin, and it's a combination of two words, re, which means again, and mordere, which means to bite or to gnaw. Now, you put them together and you have a clear picture of guilt. Guilt is a painful, devastating emotion because it bites and gnaws a person's conscience with unrelenting fervor. And uh, we want to talk today about how do you deal with that God's way. Now, one of the greatest men who ever lived, King David, he had a bout with guilt, tremendous guilt. And it was guilt caused by his own sin. David had sinned terribly. Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, very well-known chapter. David Uh, didn't go out to battle when the kings went out to battle. Instead, he was kind of 
just lazing around the palace, not doing anything. He gets up at the evening time, the time that most people go to bed. He just gets up and he walks on the roof of his palace. And what does he do? He sees a woman bathing and she's very beautiful in appearance. And David's look turned to lust and his lust turned to longing and his longing uh, turned to getting Bathsheba to come to the palace and they had a sexual affair and uh, he committed the sin of adultery along with Bathsheba. She con- consented and committed that sin too. And then uh, David tried to make it go away, but she was pregnant. And then he tries to finagle the situation, brings her husband back from battle, Uriah, and tries to get him to to be with his wife so that Uriah wouldn't know that the baby wasn't his. But Uriah had too much honor and he wouldn't do that. And so David ends up sending Uriah into the fiercest part of the battle. He tells General Joab, hey, when he's in the fiercest part of the battle, then you withdraw from him and let him die by the sword of the enemy. And that's what happens. And Uriah the Hittite dies. And after a time of mourning, then David marries Bathsheba. And the scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, but the thing that David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. And uh, it's a it's a terrible thing what David did, and God saw it all. And that one phrase is the only time that God's name is mentioned. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. And David had, he lost all his fellowship with God. He lost all his peace. He lost all his joy because he would not deal with that sin. And it went on month after month after month after month. He was trying to just put it, you know, sweep it under the rug, put a sheet over it. But that's not how you deal with uh, a sin of that magnitude. That's not how you deal with sin at all. And so in Psalm 32, he writes this, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer Sila, which means pause. It's a musical notation. And David said, just pause right there. This is what I was going through. I was miserable. Wouldn't that just have been awful? You know, I I prayed early, early in my life um, that I would always have just a very sensitive conscience to the Lord. And he has been very faithful to give that to me. And um, not that I have not strayed. My college years were definitely stray years. And I can remember having those times of just being tormented by things that I did that I knew I shouldn't have done. And that my pride was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to talk. I'm, if I just don't talk about it, it'll just go away. I'm just going to put a blanket over this. But it wouldn't go away. And um, how you can just physically get yourself to where you're physically just sick, right? you know, um, because it definitely affects, it affects your emotions. It affects your physical body. It affects your spiritual life. It affects everything. Well, and some people in scripture, one of the famous characters in scripture, Judas Iscariot, uh, he was so overcome with guilt and remorse for betraying Jesus 
that he went out and hanged himself. Uh, some people just can't, they can't handle the blaring alarm of guilt. Right. And instead of going the Lord's way and dealing with it the Lord's way, they just say, I got to silence this, this guilt my way. And I love what Adrian Rogers says about Judas trying to escape the hell before him. He hung himself and stepped into the, trying to escape the hell within him. He hung himself and entered into the hell before him. And, uh, he, he could have repented, he could have gotten right, but he didn't go that route. So what do you do if you commit a terrible sin and you are haunted by the ghost of guilt? Well, I think there's there's two different ways to look at all of it and two different ways to handle it. And one is the world's way, which is, is not effective, and one is God's way. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about what the world says? How does the world say... Um, is the best way to handle guilt? Well, the world says just uh, rationalize it. You know, tell yourself that it's really not that bad. You know, and and blame other people for it. It's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. Think about David with his his sin. He could have easily said, "Well, um, you know, I, I, I'm really not at fault here. It's Bathsheba's fault. If she hadn't been bathing, she should have known that she shouldn't be bathing within eyeshot of me. Uh, it's her fault." Uh, he could have said, well, I'm the king and I'm able to do things that other people can't do. And so, uh, you know, she's one of my loyal subjects. And if I want her, other kings do that in, in other countries. So maybe I should be able to do that. Um, he could have rationalized uh, causing Uriah the Hittite's death by saying, well, how do I know he wouldn't have died in battle anyway? So I'm really not at fault. And so you can kind of try and explain it away, try and rationalize it, try and throw a, a sheet over it, saying it's not really that bad, but your conscience isn't buying it, and neither is God. Well, there's you have a great quote in your book um, that says this, the problem with rationalizing your sin is this, God isn't buying it, and neither is your conscience. You can tell your rational lies until the cow, cows come home, but guilt smoke alarm will continue to blare. And I think we see in the story of David, that's exactly what happened to him. He tried to go on about his business, kind of just living a double life even, you know, because here he was this man after God's own heart. And yet this hidden sin was within him that he hadn't confessed, um, but it just kept at him. Yeah, it was making him miserable. So we talk about rational lies. We rationalize these things. The way to remember the word rationalize is two words, rational lies. Whenever we try and rationalize our sin, we are telling ourselves a rational lie. God knows the truth. Your conscience knows the truth. And you know the truth too. Hey, we're going to be taking calls uh, today. So write this number down, 888 589-8840 and we are talking about guilt. Who could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the God of ages stepped down from glory to where my sin Cross.
Well, welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Debbie Shreve here with my husband, Jeff Shreve, founder of From His Heart Ministries. And we are talking this afternoon about the negative emotion of guilt. And we uh, shared in the last segment about the story of King David and Bathsheba and and um, the death of her husband, Uriah, and just the guilt that bre- that brought into David's life. And I was reminded as I read a, a meme on my computer earlier this morning that's that said this, that I'm not going to feel guilty until I get caught. And in a way, David was already feeling guilty, but he really didn't start dealing with it until he did get caught by Nathan the prophet. And Nathan came to him and gave him an illustration about a, a sheep, a little lamb, which would have been very near and dear to David's heart anyway. And he gave him such a powerful illustration of what he had done in a way that just convicted David to the point where, man, he had to get it right. Right. David, uh, Nathan tells him, you're the man. You're the man. And uh, yeah, knocks his socks off. David had been trying to kind of cover this up and thinking that it would go away. But when he talks about it in Psalm 32, he said, you know, when when I kept silent about my sin, uh, man, it was affecting me physically. My body wasted away and through my groaning all day long. Why was he groaning? Because he says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Now, that's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. When a, I mean, both of them have guilt when they sin. But when a Christian sins, uh, God is not going to let that go because God is going to keep putting the pressure on till you get this right. And David said, man, God, you're crushing the life out of me. And day and night, your hand is heavy upon me because I am hiding sin in my heart and I need to confess that and I need to get it right. And so then he says in verse five, I acknowledge, this is Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So if you think about the three things David did, those are three things that you and I desperately need to do when the smoke alarm of guilt is blaring and the fire is raging because we violated our conscience. Yes, because David found out the world's way of dealing with it didn't work. So he had to turn and deal with it God's way. Right. So what's the first thing he does? He acknowledges his sin. He doesn't, he pulls the sheet off of it and he says, God, this is what I did. I acknowledge my sin to you. Now, sometimes uh, it's hard to even, when we do something terrible, we don't want to acknowledge it because it's so ugly and it's so horrible. But to verbalize that to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I did this. I, I, Lord, I, I had sex outside of marriage and I got pregnant and I just wanted it to go away. And so I went to the abortion clinic and I got an abortion and I, I killed my baby. We don't want to say those words because we just we just want to out ugly. of sight, out of mind. It's too ugly. Lord, I, I cheated on my spouse and I had sex with someone else, not my spouse. Uh, Lord, I lied at work and I got this person fired and it wrecked their life. Lord, I did this. I did that. Whatever it might be. You verbalize it. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. You pulled a sheet off of that. And you acknowledge your sin. 
I love the quote that you have in your book that says this, if you're going to acknowledge your sin to God, you take off the mask, you remove the makeup and you say, God, this is what it was. And it's horrible and it's shameful. So it's just to get really, really real. Right. And, the Lord. and God knows what you did. And God knows how horrible it was. His his eyes are too pure, it says in the book of Habakkuk, to look upon sin. But he saw what you did. And so I acknowledge it all. You, 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 as a friend of mine said, you know, when you get right with God, you sweep the corners. You, you get it all out there in the open. And you say, God, this is what I did. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. So it's not just enough to acknowledge it, God, this is what I did, but then you confess it. Now, in the New Testament, the word confess, homo legeo means it's a compound word. Uh, homo is the same. Legeo is to say. So when I confess, I say the same thing that God says about my sin. I say, God, not only did I do this, but it was wrong and it was sin. And God, not only did I break your law, but I broke your heart. And I am so sorry. That is confession of sin. And the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I, I, I was thinking about that phrase that I've read so many different times, and that is, you're only as sick as your secrets. And that's so true when it comes to guilt. I mean, the the longer you just harbor it inside yourself, the worse things are. It's the acknowledging it and then confessing it before the Lord. And I love that verse in First John because it basically says, if we confess, if, then he for sure forgives. Right. If we don't confess, he doesn't forgive. Right. And that if, if we walk around with all this unconfessed sin in our lives and we're just living a lie— we cannot have fellowship with him. If we are if we are his child, we cannot have fellowship with him like right. that. There's just no way. And just that separation alone, I know that that's what got me to the point of ultimate repentance was that feeling that I was actually living in this deep, dark hole of a vacuum and I was all alone because my sin had separated me so far mm -hmm. from the Lord. And just that... Uh, utter despair that that brought to my heart. Um, and that I just was like, okay, I, I don't care who knows what I've done. I've just got to get this right. right. Have to get this right. right. So that was a huge part of it was to confess it and to be honest about that. Right. It's so important. So I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then you forgave the guilt of my sin. So we acknowledge it. We confess it. And then the third thing that I see so many people not do is believe God's word over your feelings. God says, if you acknowledge it, if you confess it and turn from it, I will forgive you. Just like you had mentioned, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, then he is faithful and he is just. The, the faithfulness of God, the justice of God says, I will cleanse you of that. I mean, his blood can wash the vilest offender who truly believes. And so no matter what sin that you've committed, it's not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. So God will forgive you. And I have to put my faith and trust in the word of God that says, well, that is what God promises. My feelings are probably not going to match up with that. 
my feelings are going to still say no, condemned, condemned, condemned. This is terrible. This is the worst thing that anyone's ever done. No way can I be forgiven. But that's a lie. And the devil's wanting to propagate that lie. Oh, no, it, what you prayed doesn't make a difference. You're still guilty. You're still condemned. But the truth is, no, God says he forgave me. And truth is not, this is so important. Truth is not what you feel. Truth is what God says. And I go by what God says. And when I go by what God says, that's how you walk by faith and not by sight. Well, let's talk for a minute about about this idea of the difference between Holy Spirit conviction and satanic accusation. Because in our feeble minds and in our hearts, those can get so jumbled up. And it can be so hard sometimes to differentiate those two things. Right. Um, and, and there is a big difference in those two things, because when the Holy Spirit convicts you of, of sin that's in your heart, he's very, very specific about it. Right. So it, um, and, the, and the enemy is not. When he accuses you, he accuses you in broad sweeping scenarios. Right. So not, listen, when you lied and said this specific thing, that was wrong. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. The enemy says, you're just a liar. Right. You're a liar. You know, he just attacks the whole person instead of it being so specific. Right. And um, I, I I just have talked and counseled with so many people that so struggle with that because Holy Spirit conviction leads you to repentance. It leads you to renewal. It leads you to restoration with the Lord. Satanic accusation just leads you deeper into guilt and shame. It leads you further away from the Lord. Right. So talk about that a little to those that are listening out there that struggle with that. Yeah. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So he's going to accuse you before God. Now he knows the things that you've done. And so he will beat you up over the head with your adultery, with your abortion, with your uh, lying, with your stealing, with your cheating, whatever you did. Uh, He's going to keep, yeah, but you remember when you did this, you remember when you did that. So you are a bad person. And God can't forgive you. And if he gets you to really focus in on how, uh, what all the things that you did and how in the world could God forgive you, you start to believe that lie because you think to yourself, if I'm God, I wouldn't forgive me because I am a terrible person. You know, I mean, it's really easy. So you ask yourself, why is it so easy to believe the devil's lies and so hard to believe God's truth? Because the devil's lies always match up with your feelings. And God's truth, don't, it doesn't match up with your feelings because God doesn't want us to operate by feelings. He wants us to operate by faith. And so you're exactly right, Debbie. When the Holy Spirit convicts, it's always so that we will repent and return and confess our sins. It's not to drive us away from the Lord. It's to drive us to the Lord. And you talk in the book to you, I remember, I can't, I don't know the exact page that it was on, but you talk about the whole concept of elevating your sin over the blood of Christ. Right. And how when we when we continue to just beat ourselves up after the Lord has forgiven us, it's uh, it, it's putting that sin at a higher price tag of, of more value than than what Christ's blood shed for us cleanses us from. So talk about that a little well, bit because that was so good. I've heard people say, uh, yeah, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. You know, you hear that. Well, I can't forgive myself. Well, that may sound 
noble and humble and all this baloney. It's not. That is saying that your standard is higher than God's. God is holy, 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 and you're sinful, sinful, sinful. And you're saying that your standards are higher than God's. Well, God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. That's just uh, not true. Here's the here's the real issue. When somebody says they can't forgive themselves, the real issue is they refuse to receive God's forgiveness. They refuse to just let the Lord wrap his gavel and say, you're cleansed. And so uh, we just need to receive that from the Lord. Think about the woman in Luke chapter 7. That's the lady. She's unnamed, but she was a prostitute. She came to Jesus when he was at the home of Simon the Pharisee. She wept at his feet and she wiped his uh, his feet with her hair and she anointed his feet with, with perfume and uh, Jesus said to that woman, you know, Simon was like, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman is touching him. I mean, why would you let this woman get near you? She's a prostitute. And But Jesus knew what kind of woman that was. And he said, tells the story, he said, there were two debtors, one owed uh, the man 50 denarii, denarii the other owed 500. Uh, he graciously forgave both debts. Which do you think will love him more? And he said, well, I, I guess the one whom he forgave more. He said, that's right. He said, you see this woman? He said, she's been uh, w- washing my feet with her tears. She's been wiping my feet with her hair. She anointed my feet with oil. You didn't do any of that for me, Simon. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven because she loved much. And the principle, he who is forgiven little loves little. He is forgiven much, loves much. And then he says to the woman, he says, your sins are forgiven. This is coming from the God of the universe. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She had done terrible things. Go in peace. Don't go in guilt. Don't go in shame. Don't go away as a second class person, never going to be uh, somebody that I can have a relationship with. No, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. You belong to me. Go in peace. I review that in Luke chapter 7 over and over and over in my mind. And when I talk to somebody that's haunted by the ghost of guilt, I say, listen, if you go away in any other state than in peace, you're not obeying the Lord because he told you, go in peace. You don't go in guilt and shame. You go in peace because all of that has been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Well, and there's just... uh an unexplainable joy (laughs) that wells up within you when you are able to recognize that after you've confessed your sins, you've been completely forgiven, completely forgiven. There's no stain on you anymore. And, um, and God, God takes those sins and buries them in the deepest sea. And he says, I'll remember those against you no more. Right. And, um, just the, the freedom that that brings, especially in comparison to the heaviness and the burden that you'd carried around for so long due to the guilt, to all of a sudden for that to just be released off of you and to realize, whoa, I'm I'm completely free. I'm completely right. made new. I'm white as snow. My sins have been completely erased. That's amazing. Well, so David in Psalm 32, he starts off the psalm that way. How blessed, how happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In verses one and two, he's talking about his forgiveness and it was wonderful. 
Listen, the phone number to call is 1-888-589-8840. 1-888-589-8840. We'll be taking your calls in this uh, final segment, and we'd love to talk to you about the issue of guilt. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about a, a little bit about the difference between public sin private sin, public confession, private confession. We're going to kind of be talking through those things a little. Um, Make sure and get that number down, 1-888-859-8840. And we, 589, I'm sorry, I said that backwards. Oh my God, it's a miracle. I hear you speaking to me, Lord, it's a stereo. I'm trying to change and I know I got a ways to go. New things, new things, gotta let it go. I see the past looking at me, I'm like, next. Hi and welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here with my wife Debbie. We've been talking about the issue of guilt and we will be taking your calls in this segment. 1-888-589-8840. We'd love to talk to you. And we have a couple of guys on the phone. First off is Craig from Indiana. Craig, go ahead. You're on the broadcast. Hi. I had, um, for the longest time, an addiction to pornography. And after I was saved and sanctified, I still had to struggle with it. And knowing if I was forgiven for that or not. You're knowing that, have you been forgiven, even though you're struggling with it? Yeah, and that was the, that was one of my biggest problems. Yeah. Amongst other things, but it was, it was harder to deal with that one. For sure. I think that's a difficult problem for many, many Christian guys. Um, But here's the thing, Craig. So that Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to thee, my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. God does forgive us for that when we confess it. Um, Here's the thing that, uh, that we find with different sins, especially that kind of sin, it's it's a recurring sin. So for many, many guys, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then they do it again. And then they, you know, hey, I'm, I just asked God to forgive me last week. And here I am, I'm doing this again. And how many times can I ask God to forgive me for this? And, uh, you know, the devil will say, hey, you're out of chances. The Lord, he's not going to forgive you anymore because you keep going back to this. But if you think about it, like, uh, lust or or anger or worry or we struggle with those on a regular basis and so not to minimize it at all because it's a terrible thing but uh, not to set it up to where if I do this again I, I've I've lost my relationship with God forever because you never want to elevate any sin over the blood of Jesus. Debbie, you want to say something? Well, yeah, I was just going to say that Jeff talks about this in the book and it's like, you know, God understands our weaknesses. He knows that we're but dust. And so he he knows that we have propensities towards certain sins to commit them over and over and over again. And um, I think that the difference takes place when all of a sudden 
we don't come to him with that confession. When we just say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let this bother me anymore. I'm just going to continue to do it. I think the fact that you're continuing to be um, convicted about it, that's a wonderful sign that just reassures you that you are his child because he disciplines his kids. And so um, to just keep continuing to bring that before him because he does understand your weaknesses. Yeah. And that's uh, for a, for a guy and it's not just a guy's problem, but uh, many men struggle with that. And just if we put it under the category of lust itself, uh, we're probably going to battle that sin until the day we die. And so that doesn't mean we have to succumb to sexual immorality or to pornography, but it means that that's going to be a constant struggle. Uh, some other things may not be a struggle for you. Uh, I drank until I, when I got saved at 17, I quit drinking. That's not been a struggle for me. But now I struggled with lust and that's still a struggle. I still have to fight against that. And so some sins are going to be there and they're going to be more difficult than others. But thank you so much for that call. We have uh, Margie in Maryland. Margie, go ahead. Hello. Th- um, this is Margie. Um, I, uh, I'm i a little nervous. Oh, don't be um, nervous. Okay. I've, I've listened to you on the radio, and I've really enjoyed a lot of what you said. Like, you've got like a... And, um, and I respect you, and, you know, I don't want to be disagreeable, but... Um, when I put the radio program on, on I stream it. When I put it on, like a little bit after three, I heard you say that you know you were talking about David and he lusted, and then his lust turned into longing, and the look turned into longing or whatever, and that he consented, and he you said Bathsheba consented to the activity, mm-hmm. and I have to respectfully disagree with you. The Bible doesn't tell me that. The Bible doesn't say that. Um, well, if she didn't consent, consent then she her consent she would have been raped. The realm of that's entirely within the realm of possibility, sir. But the Bible doesn't say that she was raped. No, it doesn't. So I'm not going to say that she was raped. But it also doesn't say that she was consenting. So I'm not going to say that she consented. I think we have to go with what the Bible does say. And if it doesn't say she consented, I don't think we can say that. Well, the Bible never calls David a rapist. And do you think it would? It does not, but it never calls her. It It never comes down on her in any way. In the words, it never condemns her. It never calls her out. Uh huh. She could very well have been the victim. I mean, like a then lot why of would she marry him? A, a lot of times, she was she was a helpless widow. Um, in those days, women needed to be taken care of. Um, yeah. you know that's the minority viewpoint, right? Think about a person. Think about a person where the power is so discrepant between yeah, yeah, yeah. the male and the female. Yeah, the, you're reading into right. that, though. The Bible doesn't say that David... The Bible will call out rapists. Be. I'm not going to say that it was a rape. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at possibilities because the Bible doesn't say. Okay. Well, I appreciate okay. you bringing Thank that up. 
So thank you so much for calling, Margie. God bless you. All right, we have uh, Hoyt from Georgia. Hoyt, you're on the broadcast. Hey, Jim. Hey, how are you? I asked you about uh, what Jesus said about Judas. Wouldn't it prophesied that that Jesus was going to be betrayed? Yes. So I wonder how come Jesus said what he said about Judas. Said what he said about Jesus. About you, you know what Jesus said about Judas. Yeah, what did Jesus say about Judas? You know where he says, "Woe, woe to that man by whom the son right. man is betrayed." It would have been better if he hadn't been born. Exactly. Now, I wonder why Jesus made that statement. Because since it well, was prophesied, somebody had to betray him. Right. That's exactly right. Now, here's the here's the kicker on that, though. Jesus didn't make Judas do what he did. Judas chose to do what he did. Jesus just knew that he was going to do it. And so the Lord doesn't force us to do things, but he knows what we're going to do. So I... I'm kind of interesting. I'm preaching tonight from John 13 on Judas and uh, Judas betraying Jesus. And uh, Jesus didn't make him do that. He just knew he was going to do it. And yes, it would have been better for that man if he had never been born because of the sin that he was going to commit. But Judas did not have to do that. God didn't constrain him to do that. He chose to do it. And the Lord knew he was going to do it. Thank you so much for that call, Hoyt. Uh, we have uh, Colleen from Arkansas. Colleen, you're on the broadcast. Yes. Uh, I want to say that I disagree with one of the people that called in concerning David mm-hmm. because they bore a child and that child died. So she suffered as much as he did for their indiscretion. And That's so true. I do not believe that it was rape. I also want to say to the person who's struggling with continued sin, I have been reading a lot in the Old Testament about God's chosen people. And it is very apparent to me that when they had a repentant heart and turned back to God, he was willing to accept them and work with them again. I know sometimes he didn't do that. Uh, and that is his choice because he is a just God, but a loving right. God. And as he has been patient in my life, and I was saved in 92, but that doesn't mean my life became perfect. Right. And that I didn't struggle with past sins and indiscretions. Right. But when I repented and came to God, he was always there and still is. Amen. It says and in the book of Psalms. To anyone. Amen. That's a good word, Colleen. Well, Psalm, uh, I think it's Psalm 130. It says, "You, if you, Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? The answer is no one. But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And so if God weren't a compassionate, gracious, forgiving God, we would all be sunk. 
So thanks so much for that word, Colleen. We have Joshua in Arkansas. Joshua, you're on the broadcast. Yes. So how are you doing, sir? <laughs> good. How are you? I'm good. Well, I wanted to make a comment on, um, you know, on the brother that, that called the other time about, um, you know, uh, falling into sin after he has repented. So uh, my comment on that is this. There is a difference between willful sin and just making mistakes. The moment we give our life to Christ, our sin has been blotted out. We have been forgiven. But after that period of time, for we, for us to keep growing, the assassin. Joshua, are you still there? Okay, we, we lost that call. Well, Joshua, if you can call back, that would be great. We do have Jack from Alabama. Jack, you're on the broadcast. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. Can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. Okay, I was trying to cut my Bluetooth off of one, but I got a question that's been bothering me, I guess, most of my life, and I can't quite get no understanding about it. Okay. Look like look like when I read about uh, God and Satan looking down on Job, and looked like to me God spoke very highly of Job, saying that you know uh, this Job would not deny him in any kind of way. But everybody, and I always thought to where maybe that meant that Job didn't sin, but we all he he like we us we born into sin, correct? Correct. So he didn't, as far as I know, physically sin, but he was just born in the sin. So to me, God, I uplifted Job more than any of the prophets or whatever in the Bible, and that makes Job my hero. But Amen. everybody tell me that ain't the way God felt about Job. Well, no, the Lord says that uh, concerning Job, that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Job was a special, special person. And, uh, you know, the whole the whole backdrop of the book of Job is is God talking to Satan, which Job wasn't privy to that conversation. But Satan told God, hey, the only reason Job serves you and the only reason he loves you is because you bless him. But if you take away his blessings, he'll curse you to your face. And God says, no, you don't know Job, and that's not going to happen. And so there was there was a, a contest, so to speak, and, and God allowed Satan to touch Job's life and, and his children and his wealth and his health. He allowed all those things to show that uh, Job served God for nothing, and Job feared God for nothing, and Job loved God because he was God. You know, if we love God just for the things that God gives us, then we don't really love God for God. And God wants us to love him for him. Uh, we don't want people to love us because we have money or because we have uh, fame or because we have the ability to help them in some way. We want them to love us because they love us. And so I think it's good to have uh, Job as a hero because he's definitely a, a hero in the Bible. And he was somebody who walked with God. So thanks so much for that call, Jack. Well, we've had a wonderful time today talking about the negative emotion of guilt. And guilt says that uh, your God-given uh, sense of moral uprightness is on fire. That's why the guilt, the smoke alarm of guilt goes off. And so when we deal with sin God's way, when we confess it, when we acknowledge it, confess it, 
and believe God's word about his cleansing. We can walk with the Lord. We can do what the woman in Luke 7 did uh, when she took Jesus at his word. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And God wants us to live in peace. The Lord Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we, when we let the Lord Jesus be King in our hearts and we yield ourselves to him, his peace will flood our souls. If you want to know if you're right with God, that's the question. How do I know if I'm right with God? Because I have peace in my heart right now as the Prince of Peace rules and reigns. Hey, we'll be with you again next time, tomorrow, and we look forward to a great discussion on the issue of depression. So God bless you. Put Jesus first. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.